book right there, and uh, I, uh, I'm going to do something I've never done before until right now, and that is uh, I'm going to control the slides uh, myself. So I don't have anybody to blame if I don't get it right, which uh, kind of stinks. Uh, it's just me. Anyway, uh, Ruth chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today, and, and Ruth chapter 3 starts out pretty much as abruptly as chapter one and, and chapter two started out. Like, like chapter one started out with in the time of the judges and it was just like, like boom, here's where you're at. And then we got to chapter two and we're introduced to this new guy named Boaz who was of the same clan as Elimelech, Naomi's husband and he's a righteous man and we just kind of thrown into the mix. And, and today it starts out kind of the, the same. It says this, then uh, Naomi her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, who should, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And it's kind of um, odd. Uh, it's an odd way to start this, this chapter. When we started the series, I said it was a little bit difficult to determine when you read the story of, of Ruth, whether Naomi and her family were um, obeying God in the things that they were do, doing or if they were opposing God and his laws in the things that they were doing. Like in chapter one, we looked at they left Israel and they went to Moab and, and then they married Moabite women. And I think it's likely now that Naomi, or really her husband in that culture, Elimelech, it, it really appears to me in, in, in chapter one and two, and, and we're gonna see it more even in chapter three today, that Naomi's family were acting in opposition to God and his laws. Like, I think they went to Moab based on what we read there. I think they went to Moab to either escape God's laws or escape God's people or um, maybe give the gods of Moab a, a chance to prove themselves, maybe. I, I'm not really sure, but it seems like they were in opposition to God. Like, Elimelech... Um, may not have abandoned his faith, but, but he certainly wasn't being obedient. And, and so it appears that Naomi's family, they decide then, once they move to Moab, they decide to settle in Moab. And there's cultural things going on here. Because if you leave Israel, and Israel is the place where God's presence dwells, and so if you intentionally leave Israel, you're, you're kind of intentionally leaving Israel's God. More than that, we're told in chapter one that Naomi and Elimelech give their sons to these Moabite women. They marry these Moabite women. And that was expressly forbidden by God in, in, uh, in his law. But then Elimelech and both of his sons, both of Naomi's sons die. And so Naomi is left with Orpah and Ruth, her daughter-in-laws, and now all three of them are, are widowed. And in, in that time period, um, these two women would have come under the, the home of Elimelech. He was the patriarch. And so with all of the men dead in their family, we have these three women are, are widowed. Um, Ruth and, and Orpah are, are now orphaned. And then when Naomi and Ruth move back to Israel, Ruth is also a foreigner. So we have these, these three things going on in, um, in the life of 
of Ruth. And Naomi and her family, while they're in Moab, they, they appear to be fine. Like the, the, the phrase we used was, they were fine in their sin as long as they were fine in their circumstances. As the same for us, but while everything was going well for them in Moab, there was no big deal. Like they settled there, they married, like they were happy, everything was good, even though they were opposing God's laws and they weren't living by what he said to. And, and so it turns out that Naomi's life, that her story really is mirroring the story of the judges from chapter one, verse one, in the time of the judges, like the nation was being rebellious, the nation was rejecting God kind of as a whole. And, and Naomi's story seems to follow that plot line. So Naomi takes her daughters, tries to take her daughters back to Israel. And at some point after they leave Moab, she has kind of this first glimmer, this first kind of spark of self-sacrifice. And she realizes that life is going to be difficult for Orpah and for Ruth in Israel because of the prohibition against marrying these women. Naomi doesn't have any, any more sons. Like she realizes it's going to be bad. You're going to be widows. You're going to be orphans. You're going to be foreigners in Israel. So it's not going to go well for you. And so she tries to send them back home. And of course, Orpah takes the out. She goes back home. She, she has a life and family. We don't know what happens to her, but those are all options for her now. But Ruth refuses to leave Naomi. And there's this beautiful moment of a beautiful picture of self-sacrifice for Ruth, where she says, Naomi, where you go, I, I'm gonna go. Your God's gonna be my God. Where you die, there I'll die and I'll be buried with you. Like she commits herself to Naomi. She's like, I don't care what happens to me. I don't care how hard it's gonna be for me in Israel. I'm thinking about you and I wanna take care of you. And so then Naomi and Ruth, they make it to Israel and Naomi doesn't seek out family. Like that's what you would do if you've been gone for a while and you come back home, you're gonna seek out some family member that might offer you some help, give you a place to stay or whatever. Naomi doesn't do that. Naomi and Ruth, they go into uh, Bethlehem, into the city walls of Bethlehem. They find a small place uh, to rent apparently. And they, and they stay there. There's no connection with their family or with Naomi's family at, at all. It's really kind of an odd situation. And, and then Naomi, the Israelite, she's not the one who suggests that Ruth goes out and tries to get some grain in the field. It's Ruth. She's like, hey, I know how God has told these people, the Israelites, to live. And so let me go out and and, and get some food for us uh, from the fields where people have left grain. And, and so it, it, it really comes to this moment where it seems like Naomi doesn't see herself as a part of God's uh, story anymore. And so Naomi feels like her rebellion against God in moving to, to Moab and her sons marrying Moabite women has, has led to her rejection by God. Because of what we did, God punished us. Uh, like my husband, my sons are dead. And so God has rejected me. And, and maybe you've been in that place in your life where you kind of feel this, like you know you've done something you shouldn't do and, and something bad, there's been a consequence for that. And then you feel like God has kind of rejected you or that God must reject you because of the things 
that you've done. And, and so Naomi gets to this point where she feels like if, if she's gonna survive, if she's gonna live, if she and Ruth are gonna get by, Naomi has got to, to write her own story. And she doesn't see herself as a, as a part of the storyline that God is writing for Israel anymore. And so she's gonna have to figure out for herself how to get by. And, and so that gets us back to, to chapter three, verse one, where she doesn't seek God to provide a husband for her. She's not going, hey, um, God, you need to provide a husband for my daughter-in-law, Ruth. She, she says, should I not seek rest for you? Should I not seek rest for you, uh, Ruth? Which by the way, um, rest, and if you're married, <laughs> like I don't, have, I don't know where this comes from. But rest in, the, in this situation is a euphemism for marriage. Is that how you feel about marriage? <laughs> that it's rest? <laughs> Take the trash out, do the dishes, do the laundry. Marriage is not rest. Marriage takes a lot of work. So it seems odd to me that they would do that. But um, in this chapter, there's gonna be quite a few uh, euphemisms um, for things. So uh, th this is gonna be, PG-13, maybe TV-14, I don't know, in that area somewhere this morning. So if you have younger kids in here, just prepare to have to explain some things to them. What was that crazy preacher talking about? Uh, okay, why we have kids' church, okay? <laughs> we can share some of these things that we read in Scripture. So there's going to be a lot of euphemisms, um, several of them in this chapter. Uh, think about it this way. Th this, is, um, this is the spicy chapter of Ruth. This is the Harlequin romance chapter uh, of the story of Ruth. So let's, uh, let's dive in to uh, verses three uh, and three or two to four. So Naomi uh, continues, she, shouldn't I find rest for you? So she says, uh, Boaz, this guy whose field you've been working in, you've been working alongside of his servants, this, this Boaz guy, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And so wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Now, some have said that it, that it may have been as much as three months between uh, chapter two and chapter three and kind of where those fall in uh, the timeline of chronology. I, I don't really know how long it was. However long it was, it doesn't really matter. It's obvious to Naomi that Boaz's kindness towards Ruth is more than just like this familial thing. Boaz isn't just taking care of Ruth because she's the daughter-in-law of his relative, Naomi. There's more going on to this. There's more to Boaz's kindness. And part of it is because she's a mother-in-law. Do you have a mother-in-law? Mother-in-laws, let me just say it this way, and my mother-in-law's in here, so I have to be careful. Mother-in-laws see things that maybe the rest of us don't see. And maybe they see them because they're there. Maybe they see them because they're not there. We, we don't really know. But mother-in-laws see things and they have this way of kind of bringing things up 
And so this is where we're at in this story. Naomi comes to Ruth. She sees that there might be something more going on with Boaz and Ruth. And so she comes up with this plan and she's like, look, Ruth, it's clear that Boaz is into you. It's clear that he likes you. So let's force his hand. And, and so there's a, there's a lot going on in this story that we're just gonna miss because of the cultural distance that we have. Like, that, like it's a lot of, there's many thousands of years between what was going on on the threshing floor and today and, and culturally how things worked and how things went. So I'm gonna try and explain some of that um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to not, not get too, too graphic, but don't, don't, like the tendency is gonna wanna read into more, read into the story more than what's there because of the society that we live in today, okay? So this is a completely different culture, completely different society. The way they did things was different. The, the things that they did, they meant different things. So, so let's just, like let's read it with a little bit of that Harlequin romance kind of thing, but let's be careful as we uh, as we do that. So we don't we don't want to add more to the story or take away uh, anything there. So um, th th there's a lot going on, and Naomi kind of recognizes some some signs, and so she devises this plan that she kind of shares a little bit with Ruth, and I think it's a plan to trap Boaz and force him into a situation where he has to marry Ruth. And there's a few reasons for this. Like the way that, that um, Boaz talks to Ruth about what's going on on the threshing floor, it appears that only women, uh, the only women who might venture onto a threshing floor during that time, during that season, late at night, would, would probably have been prostitutes. And so Naomi basically comes to this point where she says, uh, Ruth, look, I want you to dress up kind of like a prostitute, and I want you to go to the threshing floor um, in the evening. And, and, and notice that when she says to, to approach Boaz, after he's eaten and, and drank, and uh, maybe uh, your translation of the Bible says, when he was in good spirits, uh, then the emphasis is on spirits. <laughs> Boaz has been drinking, okay? Uh, and, and contrary to, uh, my, my parents had a, uh, had a view of scripture um, that, that was like, whenever it talks about wine or like Jesus turning the water into wine, they're, they're like teetotalers. Like my parents, I don't know if they've ever had alcohol at all. Um, and so they struggled with that in scripture. And so what they would say was, this is it's a lot of people, uh, especially in previous generations who thought this way, that whenever the Bible talked about wine, that it was talking about unfermented wine. And that's what like, so it was not, hadn't turned to alcohol yet. And that's how they rationed that. Let me just tell you, I do not believe that at all. Boaz got drunk. What level uh, that was, I, I don't really know. There's some things going on there. But Naomi says, Ruth, I want you to wait until he's had his full to eat, until he's drunk and he's hung out with the guys. And then he goes and finds a place to lay down um, on, the, on the stacks of, of grain, on the heaps of, of grain. So after all of that, go out there, 
pretend to be a prostitute, get Boaz to sleep with you. If you conceive, then we've got him. Now, maybe your mother-in-law's like that. My mother-in-law's not like that. Maybe your mother-in-law's like that. This is kind of like trying to just be, this is a little conniving here. Like, like Naomi has so far left this story that God is writing that she's just like full on, like she doesn't care anymore. That's kind of the idea um, um, we get. But I, I gotta, I, I, there's a little bit of me like, well, there's some other things going on with Naomi because this scheme, it sounds really familiar. In fact, if you go to Genesis chapter 38, you're gonna read a story about uh, Tamar and Judah. Uh, and Tamar, who is also a widow like Ruth and, and Naomi, and in very similar fashion, like Tamar believes, Tamar's husband was a really nasty, awful dude. And so the biblical text in Genesis 38 tells us that God just killed him. Like he was so awful, God was like, that's it. I'm not putting up with this anymore. And, and he died. And so he, uh, Tamar lost her husband in very similar fashion to the way Naomi feels like she lost her husband and lost her sons. And so these stories are, are connected. And, and so um, Tamar, just like Naomi here, she tricks, or like Naomi's trying to do with Ruth, she tricks her kinsman by dressing up like a prostitute. And she gets pregnant by her father-in-law, Judah. That's one of Israel's 12 sons, right? And, and, and I wonder if like Naomi is thinking about this story when she's planning this scheme for Ruth and she plans to trick Boaz. Anyway, Ruth agrees to um, carry it out and, and here's what it says. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was, was merry, he was in good spirits. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of, of grain. By the way, it's a normal thing to do for the patriarch to stay out at the threshing floor with his grain to protect it. Although I don't know how much protecting he was gonna do in his state currently uh, at the moment. But anyway, he's there, right? Maybe his presence uh, keeps people away. And so Ruth came softly. So she snuck in, she uncovered his feet and lay down. Um, and, and for all of us, we're like, ooh, feet. No, like who, like who cares? No, nobody cares. Well, some people care about feet, but most of us don't care about feet, and that's all right. So at midnight, the man was startled, and he, and he turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. So again, um, Boaz is, is drunk, or he was when he headed to sleep it off on the heap of grain at the end of the threshing floor. And then Ruth came, just like Naomi said, and she uncovered his feet and she laid down. Now, I, I think, like it said then at midnight, I think all of this kind of happened around midnight. And so um, Ruth comes about midnight, she uncovers his feet, and she lays down and it doesn't take Boaz very long to, to wake up. Um, who knows how long he had been uh, asleep. Um, but um, part of the reason I think it doesn't take him long to wake up is because the term uncover his feet is not about uncovering his feet. That term may have been a euphemism for uncovering his circumcision. So to uncover his robe, like she 
exposed him is, is kind of the picture that we get, which makes sense if, if Naomi had sent her to the threshing floor dressed up like a prostitute. It makes sense that this is what um, she would do. And so he, he's kind of naked and it startles him and he wakes up and you're like, well, of course, okay, obviously. Um, and then he has to ask, who are you? And there's a few reasons why he does that. Uh, because one, he'd been drinking. And so maybe his vision wasn't great. He'd been drinking, he's not sure who is there. Number two, all he had for light was the moon. He's out in the middle of the field at the threshing floor. He, there's no light, he can't see other than the moon. And secondly, remember that Naomi told Ruth to shower and change her clothes and put on this like dress up maybe like a, a prostitute. And so Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night. He's, he's been uncovered, his clothes have been taken off basically. And he, there's a woman at his feet and he asks the, like, who are you? Why are you here? What is going on? This is his question. Whatever Naomi had, had planned, uh, whatever she planned or thought would happen or, or not, uh, we don't really know. But there's a really interesting kind of Eastern uh, Israelite Jewish way of, of looking at this because re remember um, Boaz is sleeping on a heap of grain. So he's kind of, his head is elevated up over, over his feet as he's laying there. And he wakes up and he looks down at, at Ruth. And so from an from a Eastern way of looking at this, Boaz is kind of looking past or looking through the sign of his covenant with God, his circumcision, when he looks at, when he looks at Ruth. He's looking through, he's being reminded of the covenant that he has and his people have made with, with God. He's reminded of the promises that he has made to God to obey him even when it's difficult. Now, we don't really see that in the Western culture. Number one, we'd have just walked into the threshing floor and kicked him and God, dude, wake up. And we'd have told him what we want, but that's not the way things happen um, in the Bible, certainly not the way things happen in Eastern, um, in Eastern uh, ways of thinking. Uh, so um, th there's this real, like it's, it's kind of, if you can get past the Harlequin stuff, it's kind of a beautiful picture. He's being reminded of his covenant with God to protect, by the way, the orphan and the widow and the foreigner. So uh, let me uh, kind of pause and step out of the story for, for just a minute um, and make kind of a public service uh, announcement. Because I think sometimes when we read scripture like this, we're reading this story where, where we have Boaz and, and Ruth and Naomi. They're all kind of co-stars, so, although we see Naomi kind of fading in that role as we move through the book. But you have Boaz um, has become kind of the co-star of the show, and Boaz is drunk. And then Naomi tells Ruth to dress up like a prostitute, go to the threshing floor, uncover his, his circumcision. And, and we're reading this story and we're like, okay, like we know God is gonna use Boaz and Ruth in, in some incredible way in the story that he's writing. And so it's easy for us to look at the characters that we read about in scripture and go, well, if God used Boaz, if God used Ruth, 
um, and they did these things, well, I should be able to do these things as well. Like Boaz, Boaz got drunk, I should be able to get drunk. Um, uh, Ruth dressed up like a prostitute, uh, Halloween is coming. I should be able to dress up like a prostitute. And, and let me just tell you, that is not the intention of, of Scripture. When, when we read Scripture and we read these stories about what I believe are real life events, I think they're there for two primary reasons. And, and they uh, drastically contrast one another. I think when we read scripture, the first thing we're supposed to see is the character of God, his mercy and his grace and his patience and his love and his forgiveness. And so in all of these stories that we, we read, it's supposed to remind us of who God is, not necessarily who the other characters in the story are. Secondly, I think we're supposed to recognize humanity's or our lack of character in the story. Like we're supposed to look more like Jesus. We're not supposed to look more like Boaz or Naomi or Ruth or Paul or, or Matthew or Mark or any of the other characters that we read in the Bible. So as you study the Bible, as you read the Bible, just remember who the star always is. The star of the, of, of the story is always God. Everybody else is a secondary character in what's going on. And so don't assume that just because Boaz did it or Ruth did it or Naomi did it or whoever else did it, that, that we can do those same, same things because we're supposed to look more like Jesus, not any of these other characters. And so this plan that Naomi has, uh, it, it, it goes wrong for a couple reasons. I want to throw back to, to verse number nine. Um, Boaz says, who are you? And Ruth responds, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings. Um, and that term actually may be in different versions of the Bible. Um, it says, uh, spread the corner of your garment or spread your wings. The same Hebrew phrasing there. Um, but spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Now, Naomi's plan doesn't go the way she intended, right? Because she told Ruth, go down to the threshing floor, uncover his feet, and then he will tell you what to do. Okay, I think absolutely Naomi thought Boaz would think Ruth was a prostitute and that's how she was gonna get in and that's how they were gonna be provided for. But Ruth doesn't do that. Ruth doesn't follow Naomi's plans. The, the first thing is Ruth doesn't wait for Boaz to tell her what to do. He says, who are you? And she says, I'm Ruth. And then she just blurts out, I want you to marry me because you're a kinsman redeemer. She doesn't waste any time. She's not gonna let him guess. She's not gonna let him wonder. And she certainly isn't gonna trap him into marrying her. She just says, this is who I am and this is what I want you to do. The second thing that we see here and why Naomi's story or plan doesn't work is because that while Naomi has no problem opposing God and kind of going against his law, Boaz does. Boaz is like, hey, that we're going to see this in a second. There's another redeemer who's actually first in line. Like he has first refusal rights and I am not really willing to cheat him in order to get what I want. 
And, and make no mistake, the story that's being told here in, in part is letting us know that Boaz wants to marry Ruth. He is smitten with her completely. There's even some indication as we read through this story that, that maybe Boaz wasn't making the first move. Like maybe he didn't uh, say anything to Ruth about marrying her already because uh, for a few reasons, because Ruth was a Moabite, remember? So I think Boaz is wrestling. On the one hand, he has God's law telling him not to ever work for the peace or prosperity of Moab. And that includes um, uh, Ruth here, this Moabite woman. It also tells him not to marry a, a Moabite person, a person outside the nation of Israel. And so he has this, this law on one hand telling him like Ruth is off limits. And then on the other side of that, God's law says protect and provide for the widow and the orphan and the foreigner. And he's like, well, I, like Ruth is right in the middle here. Like, which am I supposed to do? So I think part of it is he's struggling with God's law. I, I understand God's law. I want to follow God's law. But how do these things apply to this situation? But I think there's another reason. I think uh, uh, Boaz is much older than Ruth. And I thought he, I think he thinks she was looking for a man who was much younger than Boaz, who would have a greater chance at giving her children and, and then providing for her through children. So I think Boaz is wrestling with a lot of things and that's why he hasn't made a move yet. Naomi realizes this. She realized at least something's going on. So she's going to try and force his hand. But Boaz wants to marry Ruth. He wants to. He just is trusting the story that God is writing for him. And, and so um, faith for Boaz is a matter of character, not convenience. Faith for Boaz is a matter of character, not He is not willing to undermine his character for the convenience of like, hey, Ruth is here. She came to me. Let's go. Like he's not willing to, to take that step, to undermine his character just because there's um, convenience there. And while Naomi would have Boaz reject God's story, circumvince God's law in order to get what he wants, which is to marry Ruth, um, Boaz is willing to lose Ruth in order to show his love for God. Boaz is willing to lose Ruth in order to show his love for God. Now, if you've ever been in that situation in your life, you know that's a tough, that's a tough situation. When what you want um, seems just out of reach and there's a convenience factor there, like, hey, I could, I could get, like, I could just reach my hand out and take this, um, but I don't, that's not what God probably wants for me. And so we're wrestling in that, in that um, moment. It can be a tough place to be. But Boaz then promises Ruth, he makes this promise to her while she's there, that he is gonna submit to the story. Unlike Naomi, he's like, I'm gonna submit to the story that God is writing, but I want you to know, Ruth, that if God gives me the chance to, to marry you, if he gives me the chance to be your guy, I am gonna take it. But God has to make that, uh, make that obvious, not, not your mother-in-law. 
And so in the morning, before anybody else on the threshing floor got up, Boaz and, and Ruth, they uh, wake up and Boaz puts six measures of barley in Ruth's garment and he, he sends her home to Naomi. Now this is a really interesting thing and, and it has very little to do with the story, but I think it's really cool and interesting. There's a story early in Genesis where Abraham is at his tent and these three guys come up to the tent. Strangers, foreigners, he has no idea who they are, but they are coming towards his tent and Abraham jumps up and he goes out to them and he says, hey, come in. Like he, he shows this incredible amount of um, hospitality to them. And, and when they agree to come and just hang out with him and to rest a little bit and he wants to get them food, he goes in and he tells uh, Sarah to prepare some bread. Now there's some text that I have read that says the amount of grain that um, Sarah may have made into bread that day that those three visitors came to Abraham was maybe as much as 60 pounds. She made a lot of bread far more than these guys were gonna be able to eat or probably all five of them were gonna be able to eat in a month. It was a lot of bread. It was an abundance. It was far more than they needed. And in chapter um, one of Ruth, or chapter two of, of Ruth, Ruth goes out and she begins to um, uh, glean grain in the field of Boaz. Remember he tells his servants to leave some sheaves of grain on the ground for her to pick up. At the end of that story, we find out that Ruth has taken about 30 pounds, 22 liters of grain back home to Naomi. And from the research I've done, the six measures of barley that, that Boaz gives to Ruth this time, the second time that he gives her, is virtually the exact same amount which means that Ruth takes back to Naomi in two different occurrences, the same amount that Abraham has Sarah make into bread. It's an abundance. And it shows that Boaz and Abraham have the same kind of heart. And it also is supposed to let us see that, um, that, that Boaz is gonna take care of, he's gonna follow the story that God is writing. He's gonna take care of the widow and the orphan and the foreigner. And he's gonna do it not just with some scraps, but he's gonna give the best he can to them. I think that's why God chose Abraham in the first place. I don't think it was random. I think God saw in Abraham a heart that he could use and he sees the same in Boaz. And I think he sees the same in Ruth. She's willing to give up her life in order to care for um, Naomi. I just think that's really, really cool. So he gives her all of this um, grain and then here's what happens next. Uh, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, she said, of course, she said, how did you fare? Did, did my plan work? Do you think you're pregnant? Like she wants to know, how did this, how did this go? And then Naomi told her all that the man had done for her, which was not at all what Naomi um, expected. So Naomi can't wait to hear how this scheme she has worked up uh, comes out. And while it doesn't go the way she planned, it does go the way that God had planned. And even though Naomi felt like she had been rejected because of her circumstances. It's clear that God was planning to redeem her and her story. Even though Naomi was like off the rails, 
God was working to redeem her story. And while Naomi is trying to figure out how to trick Boaz, how to pimp out her daughter-in-law, God is still showing incredible mercy and grace toward this woman who, who had rebelled against him and then felt rejected because things didn't go the way she thought they should. In, in the middle of our rebellion against God and our feelings of rejection, God is working to redeem our story. And that may be a place that you're at today. Maybe you felt like you've rebelled against God, that you haven't followed the things that, that he says, you haven't lived the life that you know he would have wanted you to live. And because of that, there've been some consequences in your life. And now you're feeling like, like God has rejected you because of that, because of those consequences. We feel like, well, God, God must just not love me anymore. God's rejected me, like I'm not a part of his story any longer. But that just isn't true. In the middle of those feelings of rejection, in the middle of our rebellion, God is always working to redeem our story, to bring us back into the story that he is writing for us. And so um, Naomi seems to uh, come to this conclusion at the end of, of the chapter because she tells Ruth, she's like, okay, all of my schemes and plans and all the things I thought, they just haven't worked out. From when we first in chapter one moved from Israel to like nothing we have tried has worked out. And so she tells Ruth, okay, Ruth, I want you to wait. Wait to see what Boaz is gonna do. It's something that Naomi has not been able to do herself, right? She's not waiting on God to write the story. She's trying to write her own story. But she says, Ruth, we need to, to wait because Boaz will not rest until the matter is, is settled today. And then as we get into chapter four um, next week, we're gonna see that, that Naomi is, is, I mean, her name is kind of mentioned, but she doesn't really appear much in the story. She's no longer a co-star in this story of, of Ruth. The story though, that God is still working to redeem her. Even though she's not a star in the story anymore, God is still working. We're gonna see that play out at the end of chapter four, how he's gonna bring her back into the story that he's been writing all along, but we're gonna leave that for, for next Sunday. For now, I just wanna make some odd for observations about love and about romance uh, from chapter three, three as, we, uh, as we wrap up. Um, so uh, first, when we try to force the outcome that we desire in our lives, we try to force the outcome we desire to write our own story, it, it rarely goes the way we plan, right? You've probably experienced that. I have. When I try to force the point, I try to write my own story, it almost never goes the way I planned, like it did for Naomi. And we end up usually causing more problems, um, that, that cause more problems than the ones we plan to solve. And then of course we feel like God's rejected us because things haven't worked out. God's like, no, I'm just trying to bring you back into the story. And while doing the, the right thing often seems risky, it was for, for Boaz, because we get this, like he goes, hey, there's another redeemer. He's, I want to marry you, but this is not the way. There's another redeemer and, and I'm willing to lose you because I love God and I'm gonna let him 
right? The story. Boaz was willing to risk her in order to do the right thing and give that closer next of kin the opportunity to redeem. And, and we learn in that that it's in taking the risk that we prove obedience to God. Taking the risk that we prove obedience um, to God. We also see uh, that while lots of people will have their opinions about how we ought to live our lives, the things that we ought to, to do, how we should act or behave, like Ruth, we have to decide what's right for us. What are we going to do in that moment, in that um, circumstance? And then we have to be willing to stand up to our friends or family in order to do what we believe is right. That's tough sometimes. But we have to give God the opportunity to write our, our story. I'm, and let me, just, let me just say this. Uh, moving into this building was never the story that I thought God was writing. I thought God was writing a completely different story when we were still in El Dorado. And there are times even when I struggle with like, man, is this the right move uh, out here, you know, in the boonies of Haverhill? This is not true, but that's how we think. And, and I go, ah, God, was it, was it, did we do the right thing? Did we not do? And I'm like, okay. God, you brought this up. We didn't, we didn't seek this. You brought it to us. This is the story that you're writing and we're gonna let you, we're gonna let you do it. And, and let me just say, it's always a better story when God writes it. It's always a better story and he gets to be the star instead of us. So next Sunday, we're gonna wrap up the story of Ruth and uh, I hope that you will, you will be here um, for it. God, thanks um, for uh, loving us and working always to, to redeem our story, to bring us back into the story. Even when we reject your ways, we rebel against you, we try to do our own thing. And, and then when we fail at that, we often feel like you're, like, like you're rejecting us, like you're punishing us. And that's never the case. You are always working to redeem our story, to bring us back into the story that you're writing. God, it's hard for us in the moment when, when it's convenient, it seems, to take the step to reach out and grab the thing that we've wanted that's just right there within arm's reach. But you show us in this story of, of Ruth and, and, uh, and, and Boaz and Naomi that we have to trust you and we can't get the things we want um, and keep them when we try to do it outside of your will or your, your ways. So help us be more like, like Boaz. Help us be willing um, to lose the things that we want to show our love for you. Because in that act, we actually show an incredible amount of faith to say, God, I believe that you can bring this back to me. We see that story with, with Abraham and Lot. We see it with Abraham and Isaac. We see it over and over and over again in scripture that we have to be willing to lose the thing that we want in order to get it forever. And so um, God, just help us to see how you're working, to pay attention to the story that you're writing, to not... Um, to not let go of our character in order to um, take a hold of something just out of convenience.
Um, God, help us to do that in relationships as well. It's really hard for us to do that, but in all of life. Help us to trust the story that you're writing uh, this week, especially in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Hey, uh, uh, I love you. Remember, we're not supposed to act like Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be better. Okay. Um, I think that's it. Let me turn the lights on uh, like that. And then I uh, love you. Have a good week. I'll see you next time.